0: For our building, who's thankful for this building? Some of you guys don't know how we got it, but just uh, graciously, someone graciously uh, uh, just said, "Hey, you need a building?" And this season, I said, "Yes, we do." Actually, we're not allowed to meet in the schools, and they, uh, this this man who is a president of, of one of the local banks here, um, he just said, "Hey, I, I, I love you guys. I'm I'm always looking out for you guys. I love what you guys, what God's doing in your church and." Uh, He just said, hey, I'd love you to take that building if you can. And so we talked to the church, and they graciously just said, hey, we're not meeting in this season. Please take it. We want it to go to good use for the city. Um, And wow, just so thankful for that. I want to go ahead and turn to Acts 3.19, but I want to share with you guys a story just to illustrate the grace of God. Just recently, uh, we Nicole and I, we went on a date night, and we don't always get to do that, or at least if we do, we just go around and, uh, and just walk together, which is so nice, especially we have four kids. Uh, you, some of you guys with one baby right now enjoy it while you can put them in the stroller. They don't talk at all, uh, and you can roll around the, <laughs> the neighborhood and, and not be distracted uh, too much. But that doesn't always work uh, when, you know, you, uh, family walk when mom and dad can't just get their time. So someone just graciously said, hey, I, I'd love for you to go on a date night and uh, provide a, a babysitter and then also some money to go out to eat because our, uh, our uh, idea of a date night is going to Chipotle and splitting a bowl for $7. <laughs> so we're like, okay, well, let's go to Winter Park. That's kind of like a vacation, right, away from home in a way. Um, how many like Winter Park? Yeah, Park Avenue? It's pretty nice. Makes you feel like you got money, but you don't. <laughs> so we're walking down the street and trying to figure out a place to eat. How many of you like Bosphorus? Love Bosphorus. We're like, hey, I love that restaurant, but let's look for something new. Let's eat something new. So we checked out a Thai place. Some of you guys maybe have been there. Orchid, such a good, real good place. Love that. Love Thai food. So we we went, and so we had we had this money. We're like, all right, we're going we're gonna to go use it. We're going to you know splurge a little bit, have fun. And at the end of our meal, uh, this the waitress came up to us and said, hey, uh, just want to let you know the, these people behind you, they already paid for your meal, so you're free to go. And I was like, are you kidding me? Even when we try to pay, like we're trying to take this gift and give it to somebody, you know? So I think somebody, somebody said, hey, just go out to eat again and, and, and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> see, test our luck now. Um, but just, you know, that's such a picture of grace. Uh, you can't pay for it. It's already been paid for. And it's really amazing in this season how God has shown us over and over and over the grace of God. Of course we don't deserve it. We're sitting there and, we, we don't deserve, we're both, her and I, I'm more of a sinner than she is, but we're both in it together. And um, But we, we're we just blown away again. Actually, what it, what it did is it just reminded us of, of nine years ago. I mean, we've been uh, up and running for eight years as a church, but nine years ago, we, we got the call to go uh, right around exactly nine years, actually, when I met with uh, some leaders in our Antioch movement, and they just said, hey, we want you to plant the church. And um, we didn't know at all what we're doing. We still don't know what we're doing. And just the, uh, one of the things that was so remarkable about that time was was that uh, we just, people just gave us money out of the blue. I mean, <laughs> just people would knock on our door. I'm not kidding you not. They would just rock on the door, give us a check. People, we'd go, to, we'd go to church with somebody, they'd run out the door and they would just give us this check. I mean, I got a phone call. I mean, it was Unbelievable. And we needed that just in how we had gotten off the ground. It was uh, kind of a rare deal uh, in that we did not have a team. We did not have money. uh, We didn't have, uh, you know, the the worship leader in the whole works. And, uh, you know, they they kind of give you a whole team now and you go through the training school and uh, you get sent out that way. We did not. We just literally were parachuted uh, into this city uh, and just said, Go for it, okay, uh, and we started going on campus and sharing the gospel and uh you know forming life groups and uh just from the rest of history in a in a sense, but God is so faithful in three areas in this church, and one of them being Jesus it's Jesus that is why we come here it's Christ church he's the head of the church that's. The authority of the church is not us or our movement or our team or our staff or anyone leader, but it's the word. And we're gonna continue to point people to the word of God. And that's in our own quiet time, our own place, uh, just saying, hey, every time we wake up in the morning, we go to the authority, the word of God. That a lot of times we may be following a man or we're following a person, we're following people. And Paul did say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that's a dangerous thing to say because that was someone who had met the risen Christ and had gotten revelation and spent uh, at least what we know is a dozen years in training uh, with, with Jesus himself. I'd love to have him as an t- actual teacher showing me how to plant a church. Um, but he was able to say that with confidence because he knew that God had unmistakably wrecked his life with the grace of God. It was no doubt that he was changed. He had repented. He had turned from his ways from being a murderer to someone who is calling people out of their sin because he himself is changed, transformed, metamorphosis. He changed. He changed from that caterpillar to the butterfly and was no longer the same but the second thing that we're about here is family that we realize that we cannot just tell one another oh we're about jesus and that's all we're about because we are that's where we find our power. That's where we find our authority is who we worship but god has always made it since the very beginnings in the garden of eden he made it to be about a family How do we know that? Because he created Adam and Eve in his own image. And then they had kids. And then, of course, you know, in Genesis 4, sin entered, or Genesis 3, sin entered the world. But then Genesis 4, there was the first murder. But God knew that he wasn't gonna stop. He wasn't just gonna end it, although he could have. He could have ended it with about four or five people and called it quits but he decided to give a promise, and that promise is found in Genesis 3.15 that one day I will bring into the world a redeemer. His name is Jesus. And that the enemy would try to mess with him, whip him, put thorns in his head, betrayal, emotional pain, and then ultimately spiritual death separation from God, and then rose from the grave so that all of us might be found in him, might be redeemed and might be his children once we found ourselves children of wrath and now we're children of the living God. How does that happen? Just in a couple of weeks, we'll be celebrating not Halloween. We don't celebrate that as a church, but we celebrate the Reformation Day. And the Reformation Day is... Martin Luther breaking away from the Catholic church who had believed, who had distorted the gospel so much and said that it is, uh, that just, you're just by your works, that you go in this place called purgatory and if you pay enough money for your relatives, they might, if you drop enough coins in the, the box, you might free your relatives from purgatory into heaven. Martin Luther was a depressed man because he knew that there's no way possible that he could ever be justified by his own works. And one evening he looked at Romans 17, or 117, he said, the just shall live by what? By faith. And he realized on that day that everything changed. As we know it, the Protestant Reformation, as we know it today, That's what we're celebrating in a couple weeks. That a man said, hey, this is the truth. Going back to the gospel, going back to the reason why we meet, we meet because we're worshiping Jesus. He is worthy, blessed be his name. Why? Because he didn't have to redeem us, but he did. He did not have to come after us. He did not have to give us the gospel. He did not have to even make it known, but he did. What a wonderful thing. But if you think that was just it, that would have been enough for all of us to go into solitary confinement in heaven with a lot of joy. Does that sound like heaven? No, it's a family. And God said that it's not just a family when we get to heaven, but it's a family here. We have the ability to actually have a taste of heaven on earth if we live according to the power of the Holy Spirit, But if that wasn't enough, he said, hey, I want my family to be bigger than it already is. That he has people in mind even still today, whether it's Detroit, he has the picture of Revelation 4 and 5 where people all around the world, every tongue, every tribe, every nation around the throne room of God, that is why we go to the nations because he created them that way. He created them Chinese. He created them Hispanic. He created them European. He created them in different ways. In African, he created these people to look different, to sound different, and that is the beauty of God. And even in Ephesians 2, he says that we're one man, but yet we're a family. And the beauty is the only reason why we have uni- the beauty of unity is we are together in the midst of diversity. In fact, that's where the word university comes from. It is in the midst of diversity, in the midst of all these different people, all these different backgrounds. We're unified in one place to learn one thing, and that's Jesus. And that is the church. That is what God has called us to. And it's so good. Well, there's only one way in, and that's through Jesus. And how does that actually happen? It's a term that doesn't often get talked about in church. It's a word that maybe you've heard, and maybe we throw around so much. But even if it is talked about in church, it's not really understood, much less lived out. And that is repentance. Repentance. So, today we're going to talk about repentance. We're going to talk about how you get into the kingdom and stay in the kingdom. Not that it's by your own works, not that you get saved by Christ and by God, and then all of a sudden now it kicks in our own works. No, that's not how it works at all. <laughs> We're saved by faith, faith by faith. I mean, that's what justification means. That's what Romans 1.17 actually means, by faith by faith it's, and faith from faith. It's, it's the same thing. Faith means that we're saved by faith and then all the way through, all the way to glorification until we get our new bodies. There's no way I can make myself into a new being. How do you do that? Your body literally goes into the grave and decays. Skeleton. And God actually raises you from the dead, puts on you a new body, a heavenly body that will be perfect for all of eternity. Isn't that amazing? There's no way that it just starts by faith and it ends somehow by our works. Now we prove that of course, and we can talk all about that, but we're gonna talk about repentance today. So in the Old Testament, it says in Jeremiah 8, 4 through 5, it says, you shall say to them, Thus does the Lord. Do men fall and not get up again? Does the one turn away and not repent? Why then has this people Jerusalem turned away in a continual apostasy? They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. In the history of man, it's always been God pleading for us to return, but it's In us, there's been many times, especially in the Old Testament, the results ultimately for Israel was they turned away completely and they were brought into captivity and ultimately to their destruction. In Ezekiel 14, 6, God was always pleading to them. That's why he sent the prophets. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord, God, repent and turn away from your idols and turn your faces away from all your abominations. Second Kings 17, 13. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah through all of his prophets and every seer saying, turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments, my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you through my servants and prophets. God continually sent people to bring them back. God wants a family. He wants a people to call his own. He wants them to find life. Repentance in the New Testament, chalk full, but we'll read it. John the Baptist preached in the wilderness in Matthew three, one to two. John the Baptist preached in the wilderness, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew four seventeen, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said the same thing. And in Acts two, thirty eight, Peter said, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 20, verse 21, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks is for all people of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Then in Acts 26, 19 to 20, so King Agrippa, this is Paul speaking, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem, and then throughout all the region of Judea, and even to the Gentiles, and they should re, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. After this message of Peter in verse 19, which I'll read here in a second, 19 to 26, after this really convicting message that took us, I think, probably about four weeks, right? we even four weeks of Acts 3. So after about four weeks of convicting messages, <laughs> he finally gives hope. He finally gives us a way to get in. He finally gives us a way to respond to God in this convicting message because every message needs to be responded to. And so in in Acts 3, 19, it says, therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of the restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me, for your brethren, to him, like your, I'm sorry, like your brethren, to him who you shall give, you should give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people." And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announced these days, it is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. So what is repentance? We're all gonna repeat this word. It is in Greek. Sounds Italian, kind of, when I say it, I think. But it's matan oeo. Matan oeo. Sounds maybe Chinese or something. Matan oeo. I don't know what it sounds like. But it's (laughs) repentance. All right? Know that. It's important. It literally means to change one's mind. A lot of you already know that, but it is important that, that you understand that this word means to ultimately change direction, to change purpose. It is a change of direction, of a mind. It is not just an intellect. It's not just, oh, I think differently now, yeah, but then in action, something. You know that you've ultimately changed in your mind if the actions in your life, the behaviors have changed. Otherwise, it's not repentance. And I'm not sure what it is. But the second word that is really key is return. And that Greek word is epistrephal. Epistrephal, probably. this better way to pronounce it, I'm sure. I don't know. I don't really, I've never taken Greek. So. But the reality, the, the, the important thing is that it means to return back to God. It means to turn back to where you came from. So these two words together, ultimately what they mean is that we're changing the way. So if in your sin, maybe anger is an issue and you continually get angry at whatever it might be and you're saying, hey, I know it's not right and I'm changing the way I respond. I'm turning away from that sin and to God. You can. A lot of people say, hey, that's a negative behavior. I don't want that. But they never turn to God. That's where the power comes from. The power co- comes from turning to him. It's only, you, can, you can kind of half repent in a way, which is no good at all. God is calling all of us to repent. It is not a mere intellectual decision. It is an actual change in behavior. It's really important because it says in Luke 1.16, it's chock full. Listen to how many times in the New Testament they say, turn back to God. And this morning, this is what God is calling every one of us to do is to turn back to him. Whether you've done that when you got saved at 18 or early on in your life or just recently, it is a continual turning back. It's not, it's not a prayer of salvation. That might be the first time that maybe you turn to God. Maybe you realize I am a sinner and I have to change. God, would you come into my life and change me? But it's a continual. It's not a perfection. It's not being perfect. God made you perfect. He justified you the day that he, you've given your life to him. So in Luke 1, 17, it says, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elisha to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He did that at his first advent, and he's gonna do it again. He's getting us prepared again to meet the Lion of Judah. Acts 9.35 says, And all who lived at Lydia and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Acts 11.21, hand of the Lord was with them. A large number who believed turned to the Lord. Acts 26.18, To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness. How many know that God has to open up our eyes? It's the sovereign act of God coming into our life. There's no way that at 18 years old, when I was in college, there's no way that I just decided today is the day God actively came into my life and say, eyes open to the glory of God. Because how many know, as it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that the God of this world, small g God of this world, has blinded the minds of people to not see the glory of God. That day I was able to see the glory of God and what, not his majesty, not all, I didn't know God, but I got to see the glory of his cross, the very thing I needed to cover my sin, past, present, and future. That is the glory of the gospel. and My eyes began to be open and so are yours, that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, and they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Acts twenty six twenty. but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout all of Judea, even to the Gentiles, even to Detroit, wherever, that they should repent and turn to God performing deeds appropriate to repentance. If your life is not changed, simply you have not repented. If your life has changed, it proves that you are his. If your heart is hardened because of sin this morning, you might not be his. If your heart is hardened towards people, you may not be his. That's what the word of God says. And it's only the word that is able to crush that heart of stone and make it. Into a heart of flesh. And my friends, you don't have the hammer in your hands. God does. You are in the hands of the potter, the one who created you. You don't get to decide anything. The only thing that you've decided when you came out of the womb is I'm going to hell because I deserve it. The only thing that you decided that day and every day before Christ came into your life is I want hell and I deserve it. That's the only thing that you have decided in this life is sin and hell. But when Jesus came into our life, he began to change that. He began to give you a desire for him he began to give you a desire because all of our good works are filthy rags. All of them. Why? Maybe the you open the door for a little kind old lady because you're doing that because maybe people are around you or maybe because there's, you are not inherently good. There's nothing good about you. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. In fact, it says in the Bible that all have fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one has sinned. And sin remains. And by the way, can I just say, it's not sin against each other, it's sin against God. Every sin that you've ever committed is not just against one another or yourself, by the way, but against God. And the, you know, someone said to me recently, I said, you want a humble church? Don't just preach on humility. Preach on the glory of God. Preach have people have a high view of God. When they have a high view of God, naturally the church becomes humble (laughs) because we're no longer the center of the universe. We're no longer the hotshot of the church. We're no longer better than other people because the standard is not one another, but the standard is him. And when we see our sin, ultimately what we're seeing is God's holiness when we see his holiness, when we see how good he is, he is perfect. He can incinerate you in one second. He can blot you from this earth in one millisecond. And the fact is he actually wants to. And if it wasn't apart from his grace, from his son, we'd all be blotted out and be done. You want to want to make you know you don't know what makes hell so horrific. I was reading this the other day. Just three seconds of just thinking about it threw me into a mild depression. But just the the fact is that, and I've said this before. Let's set the record straight of what hell ultimately is. It is made for others have said it's made for demons and Satan. Yes, to some degree, but it's made for sinners like us. The reality is is that God will be in hell. Why do I know that? is because He will literally be inflicting the punishment that we deserve. That is why hell is so horrific. Hell is not horrific in a sense that Satan just gets to do whatever he wants. No, Satan is bound. He gets to do nothing that he wants. God gets to do what he wants. He finally gets to administer justice in its fullness, in its entirety on humanity, those who are not in Christ. You finally get fully what you deserve. And what makes the gospel so absolutely amazing is that he sweeps us up at the moment of our death and carries us into glory, not by our works, but by because of what he did. That, my friends, is the gospel. Maybe that's the first time you've heard that. But it's good. Yeah, I let it sink. <laughs> it's, but I was sitting there on my bed the other day and reading on the doctrine of hell, and I was horrified. But you know what else it did? It, it realized that, God, I, I, I don't even know what to say. I don't understand why you opened up my heart. I don't, I don't understand why you would be so gracious to me. Why did you do that? You know what? There really is no answer. He couldn't possibly say, oh, because I love you. Because you have. In fact, there was silence. I just got to ponder the, not the reason why he saved me, but just the fact that he did. You know, there's no other doctrine. I don't. I can't think of any other doctrine of the holiness of God and the doctrine of hell that could humble a man. I don't know what else there possibly could be. Second Corinthians three sixteen says, "But wh- who, whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away." First Thessalonians one nine. For they themselves report, report about us what kind of reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. 1 Peter two twenty five 25, it's the last one here. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls, Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? You know, Jesus tells a story. I, it's one of, my, one, of, one of my favorite stories. It's so simple, but it's so true. And I want you to just think about who you are in this passage. I want you to just, if it helps, to close your eyes. And I really want you to think about this passage in a way that really, where are you in this today? Because you can't look back. Don't buy into the false teaching that all you do is look back at the day of your salvation. Today is the day of your salvation. In other words, don't worry about the day. Worry about today are you repented today? Is your heart softened today? Do you believe in Christ today? Today is what matters. And the actions in the fruit of your repentance today. And so this is what it says in Matthew 21, 28. It says, but what do you think? This is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. A man had two sons. And he came to the first son and said this, son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered him, I will not. But afterwards he regretted it. And went. the man came to the second and said the same thing, and he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of, did the will of his father? They said the first Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. Do you know how offensive that was to religious people that knew so much more than these people? Do you know how offensive this passage is to religious people? Incredibly. Because you are still relying on your works. You are still holding on to your pride you are still holding on to your offense. Every time you hold on to an offense, it's an offense to God because he forgave you. Every single time you hold on to an offense towards anyone, you are offending the almighty God who chose to forgive you. My friends, this is the message of messages today. In a time where offense is at its all time high, but it really is no different in the first century, these Pharisees thought they had it all. They thought they were right. They thought they were absolutely better. In fact, in Luke, there was a story that said, as a man who got out, the tax collectors on his knees, beating his chest, saying, please, please forgive me. Have you ever beat your chest before? I have. I've beat it before. Have you ever just... Uh, Beat your head before? I have. I hate my sin. And then on the other side, right, you have the self-righteous Pharisee that says, I'm so glad I am not like this one. Do you know who he was praying to? Who was he praying to? Himself. Himself. He was praying to himself. That's what prideful, offended people do. They pray to themselves. Oh, I'm not like that one. Oh, they constantly think over and over and over again in their own little noggin. They are self-righteous. Self-righteous people pray to themselves. But people who know their sin... Pray to God because they know that God is ultimately the answer. They know that He can change people. And that man went home justified. And Jesus didn't even answer about the other man because He knew that one went home unjustified, even though they thought they were justified. Woo! Love the gospel. I don't know if you do, that's amazing amazing. You know why? Because it puts us all on the same level. It puts us all on the same playing field. And I'm not saying go and beat yourself at home physically. But I think there's something there sometimes in just saying, man, have you you just cringe at your own sin? You know, the beating of oneself up doesn't save anybody, but it sure shows your hatred towards sin because sometimes we're more willing to beat somebody else up. We need to turn the finger at ourselves. So what causes people to repent? Four motivations. Number one, truth of scripture, the word of God. Matthew 21, 28 to 31. He's talking to the Pharisees again. Woe to you, Trazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented a long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable in Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades. For if the miracles that occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom. You guys know about Sodom, and Gomorrah? Read it. It's crazy. Then in the, in the day of judgment, then for you, why? Because Jesus is here. Those people were, had a veil of some sort over them and still were without excuse. But today there is zero excuse. In fact, every time you hear the word, in fact, it's a dangerous thing to come to church, isn't it? <laughs> it's a real dangerous thing. Why? because you're hearing the truth every day and if you choose not to change there's a greater penalty in eternity and there is different levels of hell by the way because god actually is fair contrary to us he's fair the more you know the more you reject the more depths of hell That you'll go into. And that is fair. It's the same thing. It's the same thing about heaven. Our cups are full in heaven. But some will have bigger cups. It's the rewards. God talks about that as well. I just want a bigger cup than you. (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. And you know how you get the bigger cup? Faithfulness. Faithful, perseverance, the trait of all traits for this generation. Actually, staying in it, not quitting, staying with it. Luke 16, 30, 31, it says, But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone, this is the, the parable of the man in hell, it says, But if someone goes to them, he said, Oh, just let me out. If someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Can you imagine someone coming up from the flames of hell and just saying, repent? You know what Jesus is saying? They won't. Someone could literally be in flames saying, please don't go there. And people wouldn't do it. You know why? Because this is what Jesus says. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, which is the word of God, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Woo, We don't need anybody to resurrect from the dead. We need the word of God. That's what we need. We need the word. John 20, 30 to 31. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Man, would you like to get a hold of that library? But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Number two, Godly sorrow. Godly sorrow can, not just the word of God, which is the ultimate prick of our hearts that drives us to him, but it's godly sorrow, our regret for sin, which is not the same word for what I just said before. Does anyone remember it? Matan, ayo. (laughs) Sounds so ridiculous but it has there's another word for that and that word is godly sorrow but godly sorrow only gets us so far so many of us probably are here just like hey i kind of feel bad and the reason why i feel bad is cuz i want friends i kind of feel bad cuz i'm embarrassed by the way that's not full repentance to feel embarrassed because it's still man-centered your offense is with God, not really ultimately with man. And when we deal with it with God, ultimately He will work in us and give us the power to reconcile with our brothers. But here's what the word says 2 Corinthians 7 9 through 10. And this is speaking, by the way, the context of this passage is the contents in 1 Corinthians 5, his first letter. And this first letter was this that. He said, I know that there is uh, incest in the church. Can you imagine that? That'd be an awkward thing to say or write about. Um, but there is uh, gross immorality in the church and this man has not repented. And I, even though it's hard in the 21st century to remove someone from church, because this person went through all of, it was assumed by the way, because Paul understood Matthew 18, but as they went through all the steps, one through four, Nice. Uh, <laughs> it's like, is that the word? <laughs> awesome. Um, the word's just coming out everywhere in this church. But uh, it, they bypassed, what, they already probably assumed that they went, one, they went through Matthew uh, 18, the first four steps. And so you find yourself in 1 Corinthians 5. And this is important because we're gonna see God's heart here. Now in 1 Corinthians 5, they had to remove the man. In fact, it said that we're not to judge outsiders, but we're to judge those inside the house because the judgment of the Lord begins with the house of God. And they needed to remove this man because there's a lack of repentance. And he said, don't even eat with such a man because the discipline has to take an effect. It's almost like if I had, if, 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 if I was disciplining one of my kids, Caleb, have you ever been disciplined before? No, no. Uh, <laughs> That if if someone need if one of my kids needed to be disciplined, right, and we did that, uh, and, and, and uh, uh, you know Caleb, let's just say hit Eli, his uh, his second in line brother, uh, <laughs> right. Am I saying that right? Okay, so he's two years uh, older than uh, Caleb. Two years older, than him, and he just whacks him one day, and and because these, these kinds of things they happen in households, and and all of a sudden you know, that happens. And then, uh, I, you know, we, we discipline Caleb and, and, uh, and then all of a sudden Judah comes by and was like, yeah, man. Woo. Way to go, bud. Let's just go have a picnic together. Let's just go play Legos there. That's awesome. With that, it just literally took away the weight of discipline. It took away its effect. And what we're saying is that when we meet with people who sin, who do not repent, you soften the discipline of the Lord and you don't let it take its full effect. We've got to read the word and live the word. We cannot bring our 21st century sensitivity to it. We cannot bring our culture into it. I'm sorry, but the word of God brings it into my culture, my world. It comes into my world and it tells me, cuts me up a bit, tells me how to live. But the day that we let culture come in and tear up our Bible, we are done. Do you understand? We cannot do that. It is his word, it's eternal. We are not, by the way. He is, and his word is eternal. We do it his way. And if it doesn't feel right, if it makes you cringe, you're too much in the world. I don't cringe as much. I don't. When you're in the word, day after day, it's like, come on, more. (laughs) This is good, it's so good. But I understood there were days when I cringed at the word. I'm like, oh, but that's not right, that's not how. Wait a second, wait a second. Why do we always interject our opinion in the word of God? Why do we do that? And then we wonder why our churches don't have the fear of the Lord. We wonder why our churches don't look like the book of Acts. We can't have our cake and eat it too. I don't have time to explain that. I think you know cake and eat it too. It's one of the running jokes in our church. Like, what's cake and eat it too? Literally, it's what it means. (laughs) Can't devour it and have it. Okay. Can't have it both ways. So here, here it comes. So Paul gives this harsh word in 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 10. Here we go. I, re, I now rejoice, now, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. not that good? For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. It's hard. But you know, Paul, what he understood was he said, look, he, he understands how human nature is. It takes a while for us to finally get to the place of 1 Corinthians 5 and saying, okay, we need to remove somebody. And that's really hard. I wanna be friends and all this, all this stuff. And finally we get it. And then we all of a sudden go from like not understanding anything of the righteous of God, righteousness of God. And all of a sudden we're now turning to the, the self-righteousness, right? Cause we're like, yeah, that's right. This is right. You know, and like, we're like, yeah, this is awesome. I love this church. And Paul's like, hold on. You still don't get it fully because it looks like that man has repented. Bring him back. That's the word of the Lord. Uh, the sorrow the sorrow that they feel, they've got to taste the sorrow. And a lot of times, we don't let the full repentance take its course because we're so, so quick to cover, 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 cover. There is no covering without repentance. And that which you try to cover will be uncovered by the Lord. And that which you uncover in repentance, oh, the Lord will come around and cover you that is the scriptures. It's so good. I want to live this out. I want to do this as a church. I want people to drive by and say, "I'm not sure if I want to go to that church." I don't know if I want to because you know in the New Testament we we're talking about this with the guys outside we said that's how it was. They said, "I don't know I don't know if I we're going to get to Acts 5 in a little bit. But when you come in we're like, "I don't know if I I don't know if I want to be around these people." What a wonderful thing. Yes, let us be known for our, the nations and reaching the nations. Let us be known by our love, all those things. But let us be known by the fear of the Lord. Let us be known that God will not tolerate sin here, but when we confess it, he'll cover it. And we'll cover each other, which is amazing. Okay, so number three, God's goodness, kindness motivate us to repent. By the way, we're only on the first verse, verse 19a. Uh, God's goodness, kindness will motivate us to repentance. And of course, you guys know this one, so familiar, Romans 2, 4. But understand something, this isn't talking about necessarily the believer in this next verse, but it's, it's a, certainly a motivation, okay? So Romans 2, 4, or do, not, do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance, his kindness does, and look at this uh this is speaking of the of the common grace as they call it theologians call it uh there's special grace, which is the grace that is given to you to go to heaven, but also the common grace for everybody. every person, whether they go to heaven or hell, will get to see the glory of the heavens and the earth, the grand Canyon and everything else matthew five forty five it says so that you be may be the sons of the father who's in heaven, for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Isn't he so kind? Just that alone when you wake up and you see that sunrise. We were in Detroit a couple of weeks ago and we were just, it was a week ago maybe, a week ago. <laughs> and we, we looked and, and, and as I was waking up, uh, we actually, we got to see the, the sunset, the night before and in the, in the morning. You know those ones where you can actually look at the sun? Uh, and one of our guys said, I think that's why I'm blind, because I looked at the sun for too long when I was a kid. And I was like, oh, this could be the reason. Uh, but the, but the, it was like just coming up, and it was like that bright magenta color. It was so beautiful, so rich. You're looking at something like that. You don't want to sin. You don't want to offend God. He's so good. He's so kind. And I think that is the restraint that the Lord puts on the unrighteous. I think people who are sons and daughters of wrath go on cruises and look and watch the dolphins and the beautiful oceans and the, the islands in the Caribbean and say, wow, this is so good. Because, you know, we're all, we're all made to know about our Creator, it's in us. But it is it is true when you see kindness even towards one another, when you see, you know, a kind word turns away wrath. How could he get angry at someone who just is kind to you? That's what that's saying. Fear of final judgment. This is probably would shake everybody, but it says in Acts 17, 30 to 31, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring, this is in Athens, God is now declaring that men, that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed, get this, he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man who is Jesus, whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. There is a day of reckoning. We may not, guys, see it on this side of heaven, but there will be a day where everything's gonna be made right. And that isn't meant for you to look at somebody else and say, "Oh, I can't wait for them." And this No, 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 no. Look at yourself. It should bring some hope for the believer. A lot of us have taken advantage. Maybe some of you have taken advantage. You've been abused. You've been some things, you know, things bad things have happened to you. I I know. I've heard stories. And some of those things will never get worked out on this side of heaven. But don't go to the grave bitter. But go to the grave trusting the ultimate judge that has fixed the day of reckoning, and you can hold that in your heart. You can have that in your heart. That's not bad, but don't mix it with your own judgment. Don't mix it. It's so easy, so subtle. It's so pure. It's like, wow, God's gonna judge it, and then all of a sudden, we're, yeah, that's right, you're gonna get. As soon as you start to, it's like you cross the threshold right into, and God now has to discipline you and judge you. Now it's like we're doing good, but no but that's we've got to remain pure in that. All right, I'm probably only going to get to verse 19 today. So so that your sins will be wiped away. In Psalm 51, and I'll read that probably to close, but I'll show you what it feels like. I've read this so many times in college, couldn't even tell you how many times. That was like my favorite chapter in the Bible. It says in Isaiah forty three twenty five, says that I am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Isn't that a glorious promise? Acts five thirty one. He is the one whom God exalted to His right hand, and as a prince, a, as a prince and savior, to the grant repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. Do you see the correlation? Where there is repentance, there is the forgiveness of sins. Acts 10 43, of him all the prophets bear witness, and through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 1:17, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to his riches of his grace, nothing that he sees in us. Colossians 1:14 says, In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Hebrews 10.4, if for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The writer of Hebrews is making an argument over and over again that there will, there has to be blood that is shed for every sin. But in this case, there's one, and and once and for all sacrifice for everyone, for everyone, that calls on the name of Jesus. Colossians two fourteen says, "Having cancelled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and He has taken it out. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to a cross." Do you know what "wiped away" means? I looked this word up. It's it's absolutely incredible. In the ancient times, they would take papyrus and they would write on it, but they didn't have pens like we do where you write into it and it etches its ink into the document. What God is ultimately saying is, is that during those times you'd write on it and you could just take a damp cloth and wipe it away. See, God doesn't just scratch our sins out. He wipes them completely so that once you saw them, now you don't. That is the gospel he does not remember your sins no more. That is his declaration. You are justified. You are made right in my eyes. And he's wiped them away. What does that mean for us? Don't remind each other of each other's sin. Unless they have not repented. You understand? Unless, unless is a key word. We are to remind them of their sin when they have not repented. But after they repent, after they truly, truly repent and give it some time, people can say I'm sorry for all sorts of things because there might be a human motive to it. Guys, we need the word. And once they have, you welcome them in. You know, I love that story of the prodigal in Luke 15. And when he was sitting there in the pig pen, he realized he was away from his father and he, he just, he knew he came to his senses, the word says. And the father was waiting for him. And he was waiting right on the, the hilltop and he was looking and he was waiting all the time, waiting for him to come back. But do you understand something? He never chased him. He never chased him. So many people ask me all the time, aren't we supposed to chase him? Aren't we supposed to chase him? No, we are to wait for them. We are to pray, we are to wait, but man, when they come back, you give them the ring, you give them the sandals, and you give them the robe. You restore them back to the fullness of, into the family in its entirety. You give them back everything that they had and plus more. But there has to be repentance. There has to be true fruit, bearing fruit of their repentance. And the word will show you what that is. It's a softness of heart, it's going back and, and ultimately the best way you can. People ask this question all the time too. Do, they, do, they, do you need to uh, be like Zacchaeus and everything, full restitution, full restitution? No, Jesus, he covers your sin. If you've stolen and you've, you've done something you know that, that is against somebody, do whatever you can to restore. Do whatever you can humanly possible, but just don't work yourself into a fret And work yourself crazy because some people could be more sensitive on that side. Understand that Jesus has wiped all your sin away and you're fully restored. But understand there is a human component to it. Some people say, well, what did Zacchaeus do? Because if he could give away four times, (laughs) he had a lot of money. And he could do it. And if you could do it, do it. But understand some of us have messed up so much that there is no way possible we could ever pay that debt back to anybody. There are certain sins that we commit to one another. You've done so much damage, you'll never be able to do that in a lifetime. And there are some that have done that. But understand that first, those people have to understand that they need to repent. And then once they do, they're covered. They're covered. And that is the truth. Let me just read uh, uh, this last verse 19, or last part 19C, I suppose you can say in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I want our church back. I want the joy of the Lord. I wanna be in the presence of God with people here, just saying, oh, my sin has been taken away. I have no wrongs with anybody in the room. We're all made right with Jesus and right with one another. That's the only time that you'll see refreshing. You can't see refreshing in any other way. A building won't do that. A better worship team won't do that. Nothing external will ever do that. The only thing that will bring times of refreshing, and of course, there is a two part deal here. I I have literally two full pages of notes to go, but we're just gonna have to pause here because the reality is this times of refreshing Peter was talking about was a time where Israel will come back in. God loves Israel. And so should we. God wants to bring Israel back in. He loves them. I I can't wait to go to Israel. I'm waiting to get there. Some of us, even more, right? Some of us are just waiting to get into those borders. I love Israel and God has a plan for Israel. God wants them to experience the refreshment. But right now is the time of the Gentiles. God opened it up because Israel rejected. And now God is saying, oh, there will be a day there will be a day that they will come in. So let's believe, church. Let's be a country. Let's be a people that believe and trust God for the restoration of Israel. But in the meantime, right now, it means like, so simple. You repent, we get right. God just pours out his blessing. It's just refreshing to be in the household of God. How many of us just want refreshing this morning? We gotta do the hard work of repentance. And it's not on us. And I think some of us just need to just simply pray, just pray these words. If you need help with these words, perhaps you, I know a lot of us, we we need language. You know, we we need language to, we're like, I don't know how to pray. Teach me how to pray again. And as the band comes up, I, I want to just simply really just pray these words. And I'm going to pray them from my heart as I read them. And I encourage you to pray them as well. And I, I think these are going to be great words and language for you to talk back to God and say, God, where is there a place? And I'm just gonna pause even now before I read these words, just to ask God to open up your hearts this morning to say, what areas do we need to repent in? What areas have there been false repentance? Just trying to please man and miss the God factor. Miss the fact that we've actually sinned against him. So Father, I pray that you'd open up our hearts would you grant us the grace of repentance this morning would we see fully your grace and your mercy that's been poured out on jesus and into us in the cross and i pray lord just like you know in second samuel it to give you context of psalm 51 David and Bathsheba, they messed up royally. He did. It was his fault. He should have been at battle, but of course, you know the story. He came into Bathsheba, had a kid, and then uh, they were in a worship service. Nathan came up to him, and I thought it was interesting just how that, that story goes. It's he—let uh, oh, me, let me get it. Let me get to it. Well, let me just—I'll summarize it. You, you guys know the story. So they're in the worship service. And he tells he, Nathan tells a story, just a parable, and he's him he's taught it's a it's a it's a story of injustice is what it is. And David is a righteous man. He's a, he's a man of justice. He's king, and he believes that about himself. And he hears the story of Nathan, and and all of a sudden uh, he tells the story, and David's like, "Man, that man should be punished." And Nathan says, "That man is you. You should be punished." You are the man who sinned against God. And he he got on his knees. He knew it at once that he sinned against almighty God. And this is what he penned. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth and in the innermost being. And in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Felt like he had broken bones he was so distraught. Hide your face from my sin and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me, an upright spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. You recognize all of us, we need his presence more than anything, and that's what this thing is about. I want to feel close to God again. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach, get this, when you repent, you will be able to help others. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will be converted to you. And this is what's gonna happen in Detroit. Deliver me from the blood guiltiness, oh God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth, it's so hard to praise you in these times, that my mouth may declare your praise for you do not delight in sacrifice or religion. Otherwise I would have given it. It's easy. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are of a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices. Then I can come and worship you and burn offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then young bulls will be offered to your altar. Father, I ask you now in the name of Jesus, with a spirit of repentance come in this room over all of us. May we see the way you see. May we understand the way you understand. May we see the hurt that we've caused one another, but ultimately the hurt that has pained your heart. We've hurt you and you alone. But I thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross and saying yes, that you said in the garden, you said, not my will, but your will be done. And you went to the cross as an innocent man, as an innocent God, you took our place. You were our substitute and still are today. That you took everything. And God, we simply want to respond. We know we can't do anything. We know we can't try harder. We know we can't do anything to blot out our sin. You take that papyrus. You take that sponge and wipe it away because of your mercy, because of your grace. And we thank you for your word. We thank you. We honor you. We honor your word. We honor your justice, that you are fair, that you are good. That ultimately, mercy, we are not getting what we deserve. And ultimately, by your grace, getting what we don't deserve. We come into your presence and God, may we worship you. May we worship our hearts, not out of some sort of hype or emotion, but may we worship you. By the end of this, may we worship you. For some people, if it's just hard to get there, I just pray for some of you guys as a church, just pray for those people. Intercede for them now. Intercede for those inside the house of the Lord, for those outside, for those at home watching, for those who are hurting. Father, we ask you, would your mercy come to these people? Would your mercy and grace come to them? Just intercede for them. Apart from the work of God, it will not happen. We plead with you, God, please, may times of refreshing come over this church again. May we experience the joy of the Lord again, together. We just break that cynicism in the name of Jesus, that we are a people of open arms. When we know that we've been forgiven, we forgive others freely and willingly. Open arms. Not stiff, but loose, loose, loose arms. Open wide. Thank you for your tenderness. Would you pastor people in this room? Would you heal? Would you bring healing and pastoring in this room? Holy Spirit, would you come and comfort? As the word says, you will comfort people so they then will be a comfort to others. And we pray for that kind of deep comfort. May there be a releasing of emotion, a releasing, God. I pray for a tenderness that there would be a, you know, allow us to weep, allow us to, to engage with the emotion of Jesus, him weeping in the garden, of him weeping over the sins. As it says in Matthew, it says, all that I wish I could gather you like a mother hen, just gather you, Israel, but you didn't. I pray, God, that we would see the, the, the tenderness of a mother, of a father, of bringing us underneath in the shadow of of the wings saying, I want you near. God, I pray for that kind of nearness, that kind of tenderness in our church again. And that yes, we can hold up the word of God and be firm and tender at the same time. That is why you're called a tender shepherd and a mighty warrior. And I pray, Father, that we would have that Revelation of who you are from the scriptures. Touch us in that way. May we act that way. May we be like that. Firm in the word, firm in truth, but yet tender in mercy. things. That's not what repentance is. Let the Holy Spirit bring to mind. Let him bring it. If it's the Holy Spirit, it will be dealt with rightfully. Thank you, Lord.